You are listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. This is our Advent series, Wrapped in Flesh. Well, good morning, church family. Again, once again, my name is James Fields, and I serve here as the lead pastor here at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. And it's indeed a great pleasure and joy to be with you on this second week of Advent. Uh, we're thankful for what God is doing, and I hope you're feeling blessed at home through the reading and hearing, the singing of the God's praises, and we thank him for another Sunday to be able to honor him in this way. This Sunday, we'll continue to anticipate the coming of Christmas Day and the celebration of the birth of our King. We'll continue in our study in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. Last week, Pastor Nick did a fantastic job discussing the Christological significance of Jesus being the Word. You remember what was read last week in verses one through five? It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He, Jesus, was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And that light shines in the darkness and yet the darkness did not overcome it. This week, we'll continue to further discuss, of, further discuss the significance of verse 5, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. Last week, we focused on the Word of God. This week, we'll focus on the witness of God. And next week, in our third week of Advent, we'll talk about the wonder of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you. Hide me behind your cross. God, I don't have anything to share unless you say it through me. So, Father, I pray as always that you would allow me to increase so that you might, you allow me to decrease so that you might increase, Father. We praise you and thank you for your word. I pray that your word will be a comfort and strength to your people. I pray, Lord, that your word will be the source and sustenance for their conformity into the image of Jesus. And I pray for salvation. God, I pray that men and women, boys and girls would hear the gospel message and respond to know that Jesus is King and surrender to him as such. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Berlin Wall was a guarded concrete barrier that physically divided Berlin from 1961 to 1989. The wall cut off West Berlin from the surrounding East Germany, including East Berlin. And in 1989, through a series of revolutions, it caused a chain reaction in East Germany that ultimately resulted in the demise of the wall. And on November 9th, 1989, it was announced that all citizens could visit West Germany and even West Berlin. As a result, crowds of East Germans crossed and even climbed onto the wall, joined by West Germans on the other side in a celebratory atmosphere. You know, for many of us, we think of God's involvement within our world similar to that picture of the Berlin Wall. We imagine a world that protects us from all that's evil within the world, 
a wall, wall that keeps everything out that is evil, vile, and unholy. And let me be clear, while defending the truth and validity of God's word is of utmost importance, have we ever considered that what if our method of achieving this may be wrong? What if our imagination has forsaken us? What if our image of God and his involvement within the world is contrary to the picture that he paints within the scriptures? What if God is not simply erecting a wall to protect us, but what if he is a relentless God who is actively pursuing the lost, the weary, the downtrodden, the forgotten, and even the outcast by pursuing them despite the walls they have erected to keep him out? In other words, what if God is not playing defense against the world, but what if he's on the offensive? What if he's penetrating the darkness within this world? What if he's dismantling the idols of this world? And what if he's pursuing us despite our sin, despite our selfishness, and despite our own rebellion? What if the God that we're talking about now is, is not so much like Santa Claus who gives because we're good, what if this God is more like Neam Nielsen in the movie Taken, who pursues us because we're lost? Verse 6 speaks to this. Look with me in verse 6 of our text today. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, John is a reference to John the Baptist, not the author of this book. And we have to be reminded of what John's name means. John's name means one who is gracious. And John the Baptist was a man sent forth with a name to match his message. After 400 years of silence, God's grace is now to enter upon the scene of world history. And before we go any further, we have to remind ourselves, what is grace? <laughs> there are many definitions of grace, but here are some, some familiar ones for you to consider. Grace is simply this. Grace is unmerited favor. <laughs> Another pastor put it this way. He says, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And here's my, my favorite definition of grace. Grace is simply getting what you don't deserve. Notice with me the grace that is seen in verse 5. It says, remember last week from verse 5, that light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not compre, or excuse me, overcome it. Now notice with me, church, that grace is a hard thing to recognize, especially when you're in the middle of a situation. And, and beloved, this is a good reminder for us that grace is best seen looking back. Grace is best seen looking back and reminiscing upon God's goodness and his faithfulness within your life. If you are in a hard season right now and you're looking for God's grace, especially in the year that we have in 2020, it's probably hard to witness and to see the grace of God where you are right now today. 
And like for me, and for many of you that are watching, 2020, this year has been a very hard and a very difficult year. However, looking back, a year from now, I guarantee that you'll be in a better position to see God's grace within your life than you are right now. I guarantee a year from now, you're going to look back on this year, and although you can't comprehend it now, and although you can't make sense of it now, you'll be able to look back on this year in 2021 and beyond, and you'll be able to see the grace of God because, once again, grace is best seen looking back and reminding ourselves about God's goodness and his faithfulness. You see, John, the apostle, when he wrote this gospel, he was looking back. (laughs) He was looking back into his experience with Jesus. And that's the scene that John paints for us in this text. He's already given us a description of Jesus Christ. He's reminded us that he is the eternal word. He's reminded us that he is the second member of the Trinity. He's reminded us that he is the creator of all that is. But in our text today, John the Apostle introduces the witness of John the Baptist to Jesus. And he also helps us to see the witness of Jesus Christ to himself when Jesus says, I am the the true light. He is the true light which comes into the world, enlightening every man. But I want you to know something about John. John isn't just a a, a reporting. He's not just reporting a courtroom drama to us. This is not just SVU that we're watching right here for our late night entertainment. John has come to remind us that many who should have decided favorably have sadly rejected the witness of Jesus Christ. Whereas others welcomed the witness, Jesus Christ witnessed by receiving and believing in him. Now, I want to be clear from the very front. My my goal in all of this, my goal from this text, my goal from this text is, is to hopefully elicit a personal verdict from you that Jesus is who he says he is. So let's go into the story. Our, our text falls into two main parts, verses 6 through 9 and verses 10 through 13. In the first part, verses 6 through 9, God, God has given an adequate witness to his son. He's helped us to see and he's helped us to know exactly the witness he would require for us to believe in his son. And in verses 10 through 13, he helps us to see that God's witness to his son demands a verdict of faith in him. Pray with me. Father, be with me. Guide me. Allow your word to go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been called into court to serve as a witness? I have, unfortunately. I I witnessed about two years ago, I witnessed an accident of a person who lost control of his car while driving down an icy road in New Jersey. And for those who may not know, the the point of a witness in a courtroom is simply is a simple is a simple job. The, the point of a witness in a courtroom is to establish the truth 
beyond a reasonable doubt. In his commentary, Leon Morris lists six, seven witnesses who have been just that to Jesus, who have been a witness to give uh, the, the, the aspect of truth beyond a reasonable doubt. The first one is the Father. The second one is Christ himself. The third one is the Holy Spirit. The fourth is Jesus' works or his miracles. The fifth one is the scriptures. The sixth one is John the Baptist. And the seventh is a variety of human witnesses, such as the disciples, the Samaritan woman, and even the multitudes themselves. In our text, we see two of these witnesses. We see John the Baptist and we see Christ himself who have been given by God to establish a truth beyond a reasonable doubt that Jesus is truly the Messiah and our long-awaited King. Notice with me in verses 6 through 9 how God has given an adequate witness to his son. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Notice the juxtaposition between Jesus and John the Baptist. John wants us to be able to compare and contrast these two figures. You see, John was a man. He was only a man. His existence began at birth, and he was the son of a man. While Christ, as we've already talked about, he was the word. Christ's existence began in the beginning. It was actually before the beginning because he wasn't never created at any point in time. We know that Christ is not just uh, have his existence being, uh, being born at birth, but Christ was also co-equal with God. And he's also the only begotten son of God. Notice John was sent as a man. From God. This word sent in the Greek means to send out. It means to commission as a representative, an ambassador, or an envoy. And there are three things, uh, there are three things that are true of a person who has been sent from God. The first thing is this: is that he or she belongs to God. Number two is that he or she is commissioned to go to is commissioned by God in order to go out. And then number three, he or she possesses the authority and power of God that, he or she, that, that God gives to that person to be on mission. Notice with me, John was sent. And notice who he was sent from. He was a man, he was sent as a man from God. This last part from God is very important for us. And anytime you see anything in the scriptures that says from God, we have to, our ears need to point up. Our antenna must go up because this is a very special revelation from God himself. What does it mean that John was sent from God? It means that he was sent from the very heart of God. He was sent from the very side of God. He was sent by God and not by man. You remember the uniqueness of John the Baptist? John the Baptist was the only person in human history of whom it was said that he was filled with the Holy Spirit while still being in his mother's womb. Do you remember his birth? His birth was miraculous in that his aged parents had had not been able to conceive, yet God had provided provision for his birth. Two times, at least two times in the Old Testament, John is a direct fulfillment of prophecy. 
In Isaiah 40, verse 3, John is, is, is quoted or, or is seen as being a voice who is calling to clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. In Malachi 3.1, we also see um, a prophetic vision of John when it says, Behold, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. For us in our church right here, this is a good reminder for us of, of something we've already been teaching even within this pulpit. Is that identity precedes function. What does that mean? It's not about... What you do for God, that's important. What's most important is who you are. And we see that in the life of John. We see that the thing that's most important about John is that he was a man sent from God. He was a man who came from the very heart of God, and he was sent out through the power of God in order to affect change that God wanted to see within the world. Now, we have to ask ourselves, if if this man has been sent from God, if he's truly been sent from God, then he must have a particular mission. He must have a particular objective. What is it and how can we identify it? We see it actually in verses 7 and 9. Look there with me. It says, he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Notice, he came to bear witness to the light. In other words, John was sent to bear witness of the light by proclaiming a very specific message to proclaim, up, to proclaim the light, which was Jesus Christ himself. It's a good reminder for us that, that a servant of God is not left up to his own thinking to come up with a message. A servant of God is not dependent upon his own reason, his own thought, and his own ideas, but but a servant of God is a messenger for God. And his message is simple. His, His message is Christ, the light of the world. Notice with me how the message is a message that's given. I love what C.H. Dodd says in his commentary, the Gospel of John, about this. He says, first, John the Baptist is not the light. Second, John was sent to bear witness to the light. And third, John's aim was that we all might believe through him. In other words, to, to know and to surrender to Jesus as being the light. It's a good reminder for us that much like John the Baptist God's bride, the church, has been called to bear witness of Christ here in South Louisville and beyond. And guess what? There's no better time than now to serve as a witness for Jesus. And church, I invite you, I invite you today and for the rest of this week to seek God about an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ with at least one person next week. Every day, I want you to get up and I want you to say, God, give me an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with somebody. It may be your child, it may be your grandchild, it may be your neighbor, but somebody needs to hear about this good news, amen? 
And as you go out and as you pray and as you seek, I want you to go knowing three specific things. I want you to go, number one, knowing that the message is not about you. (laughs) Share your testimony, but keep the focus on Jesus. Keep the focus on him. Like, like, Like the moon reflects the light from the sun at night, so should we reflect the goodness and glory of God to not take the light for ourselves, to absorb it into ourselves, but to reflect it back to him. One of the greatest gifts that I learned as a young parent was this little adage that I had my daughter say as she grew up. And it was a little adage that that she still says. I encourage her to still say it to this day. She's a very beautiful young girl. And I heard this from another parent that uh, as as someone came up to a little girl and said, "Um, little girl, you're so pretty or you're so beautiful. And, and, And the little girl just kindly looked at the person who gave her the affirmation and said, thank you. God made me that way. I said, you know, that's a good response. I actually like that. I'm going I'm to share. So as my daughter grew up, I, I've encouraged her, even as a 12-year-old middle schooler, I've encouraged her to when people look at her beauty, that she doesn't just take that praise for herself and she just allows it to get, you know, to get, to get her in a, a big head like we all do when someone gives us a little praise, including your pastor, that we take that praise and we put it back to God. Well, what if this week we can do that? What if someone looks at you and, and say, man, Brother Roger, you look like you got it all together. You say, thank you. God, God, God's been good to me. Miss Joyce, your, your, your greens, your collard greens are so good. Yeah, God gave me, thank you. God blessed me with the ability to cook. What if we took the, the praise that people want to give us and focus back where it needs to go, which is God Almighty in heaven? So the message is not about you. There's the second thing I want you to know is tell people who Jesus is. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Invite people to not just come to church, but, but, but to meet Jesus for themselves. Invite people. Don't tell people about Jesus, that he's a way maker, that he is the bread of life, that he is the alpha and omega. Don't be ashamed of your Jesus. So as you go out this week, tell people, remind people that the message is not about you. Tell people about Jesus. And thirdly, I want you to do this. I want you to seek people, excuse me, seek to bring people to faith in Jesus. How do you do that? Encourage people to put their trust in Jesus for their salvation. Not just to pray to Jesus when they get upset. Not just to pray to Jesus so that things can go the way they want to go. Ask people and encourage people to place their faith and their trust in the risen king. This is a good reminder for us that our primary purpose as a church is to lead men to believe in Jesus Christ. We are called to to, to lead men and women, boys and girls, young and old, rich and poor. We're called to lead people to believe in Jesus Christ. And listen, if we're not doing anything else right in this church, we will get this one thing right. We will lead people to believe in Jesus Christ. Why? Look who verse 8 with me. It says, he was not the light. John, that is, was not the light. But he came 
to testify about the light. Notice the humility of John. Here's this great man who was infused with the Holy Spirit from birth. But he also had to humbly acknowledge that he was not the light. Church family, never allow your greatness to replace the greatness of God. Instead, allow your greatness to serve as a reflection of his greatness. I love what Tony Evans says in his study Bible commentary. He says this. He says, though he was the first to bear witness to Christ, John was not to be the last. All Christians have the responsibility to testify about him, to declare the truth of Jesus so that all might believe in him. And this was a very important fact because, again, John is writing this this, this gospel looking back. He's already experienced some stuff. And he's looking back and he's seeing how God's grace and God's revelation was made known to him. Even in the time when he was going through it, he may not have fully known it at that time. This is a very, very important fact. Verse 8, circle that in your Bible. It's very, very important that John was not the light. Because in Acts 19, verses 1 and 5, we saw that as Paul entered into Ephesus after the Pentecost had already happened, there were still some disciples who had believed in John's baptism and had no clue about Jesus. In other words, they thought John's baptism or the baptism they received from John the Baptist was the only thing they had to do in order to know God. And the grace of God, he sent Paul to Ephesus to help people to connect the dots that John's baptism led to a greater baptism that led to the cross of Calvary and to an an empty tomb, tomb on Sunday morning. Church family, I not only invite you to pray into an opportunity to pray for an opportunity to share the word, I I challenge you this week. I, I challenge you for the next Three to four weeks as we go through Advent, I challenge you to invite five neighbors. Why neighbors? Because neighbors are people who you can easily follow up with because they live right next door to you. I invite you, I challenge you as a church, not just to pray for an opportunity to share the gospel, but I want you to go to five neighbors who live within walking distance of your home. I want you to go to five neighbors within the next three to four weeks, and I want you to invite them to come to church during Advent season. They already have a church, praise God, that's okay. You asked them and they had another church. Substitute that person with someone who doesn't have a church. Maybe you've asked 100 times, make this 101 times that you ask. We are called as a church to lead men to believe in Jesus Christ. Why is that? Because verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Notice, as the true light, Jesus himself witnesses to who he is. I love this word true, this Greek word for true. It means true or genuine or real. The word true here here means genuine as opposed to counterfeit or false. It is the opposite of the unreal, the fictitious, the counterfeit, or the imaginary. It's the opposite of the imperfect, defective, frail, and uncertain things in this world. And what John is trying to help us understand is that Jesus is the real thing. 
that, that if you put your chips on anybody, you need to put your chips on him because he is not counterfeit, nor is he defective. He's, he, he's a perfect son of God was slain for the sins of the world. Listen to D.A. Carson as he talks about this passage of Scripture. He says, John's point is that the word who came into the world is the light, the true light, the genuine and ultimate self-disclosure of God to man. I used to like, like how we used to say in high school, um, the buck stops here. The book stops here with Jesus. There's nowhere else you need to look beyond him. Notice with me in verse 9, this word gives light refers to the exposure that light brings when it shines on something. It refers to the exposure or the illumination that light brings when it shines on something. The Greek verb here means to shed light upon or to make visible. Notice with me that that Christ is to man as what light is to man. Notice with me that Christ did for man what light does for man. What does light do? Light is is pure and it's clear. It is clean and it's good, much like Christ. Light penetrates. It cuts through and eliminates darkness, much like Christ. Light enlightens, it enlarges one's vision and knowledge of something, much like Christ. Light reveals, it clears up the way to the truth, much like Christ. Light guides, it directs the way that one should go. It leads us upon the right path for his name's sake, as the psalmist says in Psalm 23, much like Christ. Light warms us. It, 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 excuse me, it warns us. It warns us of danger that lies ahead on one's path, much like Christ. Light also protects us. It keeps us from tripping up or stumbling, falling, injuring ourselves, losing one's life, much like Christ. Light exposes and strips away the darkness. Light, it routes the chaos of this world. Light discriminates uh, dis- excuse me, dis- distinguishes between the right way and the wrong way. How does this happen? How do we see it? Look at verse 10. He was in the world and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. Jesus Christ is the true light and he gives light to every single man. Notice the mission of Christ. The mission of Christ is to give light to men. He gives light to men through natural revelation, the created world, the creation, and also the order of the universe. I love what Psalm 19.1 says. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Psalm 97.6 says it this way, the heavens proclaim his righteousness and all peoples see his glory. Romans 1.20 he says this way, it says, For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without an excuse. Listen to how Carson puts it in his commentary. He says it this way, he says, It being light, it light or the light shines on every man and divides the race. 
Those who hate the light respond as the world does. They flee lest their deeds should be exposed by the, this light. But some receive this revelation and thereby testify that their deeds have been, have, have been done through God. In God's, John's gospel, it is repeatedly the case that the light shines on all and forces a distinction. Notice John's point. The witness that comes from the light demands a response. In other words, when Jesus exposes the sin and corruption that's in our hearts, some of us, re- 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 some of us will react like cockroaches. You know how a cockroach responds to light? When, when you flip on the light, they run for cover and to hide. <laughs> but others, others will welcome the light knowing that it's for their healing and also for their good. Notice with me in verses 10 through 13, where we see this, where we see God's witness to his son demands a verdict of faith in him. Verses 10 through 11, he was in the world, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. All of scripture, these verses show and help us to see the tragedy of sin and the terrible wickedness of the human heart. Notice the, irration, the irrationality of sin. He was in the world. This word world is a common word that John uses time and time again. It's used 185 times in the New Testament and it's used out of those 185 times, it's used about 78 times here in John's gospel. That means about 40% of the time this word is used in the New Testament alone is used in this gospel of John. And it refers to the evil world system that is under Satan's rule. In other words, Jesus made the world and he loved and cared deeply for the world. He was in the world from the very beginning of creation. We have to ask ourselves, if God so loved the world, he loved the world, he entered the world, why would anyone reject this invitation? Why would anyone turn away? Well, there's two reasons. We've seen it time and time again throughout the scriptures. One is because they are spiritually blind. That's why I'm inviting you and encouraging you not just to pray for an opportunity to share the gospel, but I'm challenging you to go get people who may be spiritually blind, even living around you right now today as you watch this in front of me or over the internet. So number one, they're spiritually blind. But two is this, they love their sin, they love darkness more than they love the light. And guess what? That's a problem too big for any of our pay play grade. None of us can make someone love light more than darkness, except for God. Notice what it says here in verse 12. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. This is a play on word here in Greek. The first aspect of his own is in Greek is from a neuter form, meaning that is not specific to any, um, any particular person. It says he came to his own. This literally means to his own home. What John is trying to get us to understand is that Jesus came into the world that he created, but yet they rejected him. It says he came to his own and his own people. This own people is not just talking about the world in general. 
It's talking about a very specific people. It's talking about the nation of Israel. It's talking about a particular home that Jesus entered into. And even though the nation of Israel had a special privilege and revelation of God, even though they had prophets and even though they had miracles and even God, who he pursued them from, the, from, from Genesis 12, all throughout the, the scriptures, Jesus came into his own family, and yet he was rejected. I don't know if you've ever been rejected, but I know I have time and time again in different ways by different people. And rejection is a hard thing. It's probably one of the hardest things that we have to see and experience within this world, especially from those whom we think or we feel could understand us, could get us, or maybe even should get us. But if you are rejected today, if you are being rejected, maybe this holiday season is a season of rejection for you. Maybe you can't visit family the way you want them to. Maybe you are having a a strife with family members in such a way that you can't reconcile and this Christmas is going to look different than it ever has been or Christmas was before. Maybe you can't get together just because of COVID-19. Whatever your rejection looks like, beloved, listen to me very carefully. We can trust in Jesus because Jesus was rejected by his own. And he understands and he sympathizes with our rejection. And he causes us not to try to get revenge. He causes us to submit to his perfection. See, there are three undeniable facts in in this world. Fact number one, that the supreme fact of human history is this, that Jesus was in the world. There's no one, there's no scholar, there's no science that can prove that Jesus did not humanly live in this world. Number two is the supreme truth about creation, that the world was made by him. And number three, the supreme tragedy of humanity that the world knew him not. I normally wait to the end to get my application, but I want to give two application points right now because I think it's important for us as a church. I want to talk to two people. I want to talk to the person who maybe feels like you don't, you've heard about this Jesus, but maybe you don't know him intimately and personally. I want to talk to you this morning. And what I would say to you is this, is to this, make sure that you're not rejecting the testimony that Jesus has already provided concerning him being the eternal word made flesh. A lot of times we reject Jesus not because of things that he can't prove to us. We reject him based upon the truth that we already know, the truth that we've already seen. I also want to talk to you guys who have been rejected or maybe even feeling rejected this morning. And I want to encourage you to know that don't be surprised when people do not respond to your witness for Christ. Some people still love the darkness because their deeds are evil. But here's the encouraging thing. Not all reject him. Look with me in verses 12 through 13. It says, but but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. 
This aspect here that John writes to receive Christ. To receive Christ is the opposite of not knowing him and rejecting him. It means to welcome him into your home. (laughs) It's an example of you preparing your home maybe for guests who are coming from out of town to be with you during this Christmas season. You don't just allow people to come to your house and then you try to figure it out. You prepare your home. You invite them in. You prepare meals ahead of time. You are hospitable and you're intentional with how you respond to the guests whom you're inviting into your home. I love this. Receiving Christ is the opposite of not knowing him and also not rejecting him. How do they receive him? They said they believe in his name. What does his name mean? His name is is all whom Jesus is. It is his person and it is also his work. It refers to all he did by dying on the cross as a substitute for our sins. And lastly, what are we called to do? We are called to believe or believing in his name. This is the hardest thing for us because it means that you stop relying on your own merits You stop relying on your own works as a way to approach God. And instead, you rely totally on what Jesus did for you on the cross. It means that when you stand before God, your only hope for heaven is not your good works, not your good looks, not your good cooking, not not your wonderful intentions, but rather what Jesus did for you by dying on the cross and you placing your trust in him for faith alone and in him alone. Love what Tony Evans says about this. He says to receive Christ is not like passively receiving a letter in your mailbox. Instead, it means to welcome him like the one welcomes a guest into one's home. Those who, those who do are adopted into the family of God as his children. To believe in Jesus' name is to believe in his person, who he is, and work what he has done. So what is this tale and how does it happen? Look with me at the verse, at the verse uh, of verses 12 and 13. Those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent or the will of the flesh or the will of God, a will of man, excuse me, but of God. Notice the source of sonship is a new birth. And this new birth is not of man. I love what John does here because John is dismantling all the idols that anyone could, could put up before God to say, God, You must love me because I deserve your love. And John looks at those idols and he he demolishes them one by one. He first says, it's not by blood. That means it's not by heritage or because of your family. The the blood, your blood or your association with a certain family is not what causes the new birth. He says, it's not by the will of the flesh. That means it's not by personal desire or merit. You can't make this happen on your own. I love how one preacher put it. My granddad put it this way. God doesn't have grandkids. He only has children. No one is spiritually born because they want to become a child of God. They become spiritually born because of God's initiative and his pursuit of them through a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Lastly, it's not by the will of man. Simply means this, no man can make this happen. Spiritual birth can happen one way and one way only. And a new birth is a miracle of God. Spiritual birth to become God's child requires a spiritual new birth from a God who pursues us. 
despite our brokenness, despite our shortcomings, despite our failures, despite our our insufficient ways and our imperfect habits, God pursues us, he loves us, he died for us, and he rose for us so that we might become the children of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you. We ask that you would be with us now. Father, I pray that a person listening under the sound of my voice would be compelled to hear and to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ afresh and anew. Pray those who, who, already, who already know you as Father, I pray that the gospel today will refresh their hearts, that their acceptance before you is not based upon merit, it's not based upon works, but it's based upon everything you've done for them. May our hearts respond in gratitude and thanksgiving because of this true reality that you have done. And Father, I pray for those who, who love darkness more than they love the light. I pray in the name of Jesus that darkness would not continue to rule in their life. I pray that you would substitute a love for darkness for a love for your son, Jesus, and the light that he provides. I pray for the dismantling of strongholds and idols in our life that causes us or makes us to believe that we're better than we really are. Father, we need you to save us because we are in a deplorable situation. Father, draw near now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.